Praise the Lord. You may be seated. <clears throat> Amen. Again, we're so delighted to have you with us this morning. A couple pastoral things I want to take care of this morning before I bring our speaker to the floor. We will be announcing sometime this next week when our scheduled annual business meeting will be, so be watching for that. We'll be having our annual business meeting real soon, and I would encourage all of you to plan to attend and see what's been going on and what we plan to have going on in the future. So be here for that also. In the very near future, now that this weather has broken some, I will be announcing a Saturday when we will have a church work day where as many of you as I can prod and pull and coax and beg and plead to come out and help us do some work around here. Uh, we've got a lot that needs to be done. The inside of this building in its entirety needs to be clean from top to bottom. And uh, the outside as well. Uh, a lot of things we need to do out there and spruce up uh, for the springtime. So we'll be uh, letting you know when that's going to be. And uh, so we encourage you to be thinking about that and plan on being here and helping us. And I also would encourage you tonight to come out for prayer meeting. Uh, I feel uh, extremely certain that we're seeing some very positive results from, from God's people coming together in collective prayer. And uh, I feel very encouraged about it, so I want you to plan on being here tonight. Now, unfortunately, due to a previous commitment that I made some time ago, my wife and I will be unable to be here tonight, but uh, we'll be back the next week. But uh, come anyway and, and, and pray one for another, and, and you, will, you will be blessed. I'm sure you'll be blessed uh, just by being here and, and being a part of God's people and praying together. Amen? Amen. So if you would stand with us one more time this morning, amen. It is my privilege this morning to bring to this podium a fellow servant, Brother David and I have known each other for a long, long time. And I can say that now, a long, long time. And uh, <clears throat> he is a fellow servant here in the gospel at High Point Church, an outstanding Bible teacher to say the least. And he's my friend, and he's my pal. And uh, he and I, once in a while, we'll get together and we'll just spend an afternoon sitting and talking <coughs> the Bible and, and talking things at church. And I, I sure, certainly enjoy that time we get to spend together. And I know he kind of recoils at, at the idea of being called a preacher. So today I'm going to introduce him as the minister of the hour. Would you come, Brother David, and share with us what God has given to you? God bless you, Pastor. Well, I've got my Kleenex and my bottle of water and a cough drop. And the only thing I'm missing, I think, is an IV. You may be seated if you'd like. <clears throat> We've been discussing a lot of things here recently. Let's get these mics right before we start. Turn me up a little bit in the monitor. I feel like I'm talking in a trash can. Along the same lines of We've heard Brother or Pastor Magine and Brother Brown talk about the exact same things, and at prayer meeting we've been praying about some of the very same things. And I, I saw something recently that I, I thought was interesting, and I mentioned it to Pastor Magine when he was in my office one day, and and I said I, I just I feel like it's just the right time and the right place for this this morning. And so I want to read John chapter one verses thirty-five through forty-nine as we begin this morning. The next day John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. 
Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? Maybe he didn't say exactly like that. They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and he spent that day with them. It was about the tenth hour. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus stood at, looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will call Cephas, which is translated as Peter. The next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Peter, like and Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me, Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were standing under a fig tree before Philip called you. And we ask the Lord to just bless your word today. And if it's okay with everybody, I'm going to move down here. I hope it was okay with everybody. There's a story that is told by Dr. Lyle Watson. Dr. Watson was a South African anthropologist. While some of his findings are debated as to their accuracy, the overall hypothesis serves as a, as a great springboard for what I want to talk about today. Here's part of what Dr. Watson wrote, and I'm quoting him. I am forced to improvise the details, but as near as I can tell, this is what seems to have happened. In the autumn of that year, an unspecified number of monkeys on Koshima were washing sweet potatoes in the sea. You're wondering how I'm going to get spiritual with this, I know. Let us say, for argument's sake, <clears throat> that the number was 99 and that at 11 o'clock on a Tuesday morning, one further convert was added to the fold in the usual way. But the addition of the hundredth monkey apparently carried the number across some sort of threshold pushing it through a kind of critical mass, because by that evening almost everyone was doing it. Not only that, but the habit seemed to have jumped natural barriers and to have appear, appeared spontaneously like glycerin crystals in sealed laboratory jars, in colonies on other islands and on the mainland in a troop, of, in a troop at Ta Takakashima Island. Now, you listen to that and you say, well, I have no idea what, what that was about. Let me say it in a way that makes maybe a little bit more sense, at least it did to me. Let's suppose, as Dr. Watson did in his hypothesis, that when the sun rose one morning, that there were 99 monkeys on Koshima Island who had learned how to wash sweet potatoes. Let's further suppose that later that morning, the hundredth monkey learned how to wash sweet potatoes. It was then, right then, that it happened. By that evening, all the monkeys on the evening, all the monkeys in the tribe, were washing sweet potatoes before they ate them. The, it seems that the added energy of this hundredth monkey somehow created this ideological breakthrough. There's a thing called critical mass, which I'm sure Jeffrey has studied in all of his 
studies there's a thing called critical mass and one definition of it is the minimum amount of something required to start or maintain a venture and in another way a sociodynamic term to describe the existence of sufficient momentum in a social system such that the momentum becomes self-sustaining and fuels further growth everybody's got that in short what it's saying here is that it reaches a point of self-sustaining explosive growth where this amount of growth causes more growth that amount of growth causes even more growth the snow monkeys on Koshima Island for them what had happened is they had reached a critical mass of sweet potato washing now I'm not going to swear to the accuracy of of each detail in the story that Dr. Watson told but I do believe that a church that really wants to see revival reaches a point where all of a sudden the vast majority of the church buys into the vision and the pastor the vision and the passion that the leaders of the church have and I believe when that happens the church body reaches a point of critical mass and as the definition in, of critical mass says the momentum becomes self-sustaining and fuels further growth this church was fan founded by Bishop Goldsberry. It was founded with a passion for reaching the community around High Point Church. In recent weeks, we have heard Pastor Magine and, and Brother Aston Brown preaching about change, preaching and teaching about anticipation, and preparing for that change. I believe that there are some folks around here who are starting to get on board with that idea. Amen? Amen. I sense an expectation, an anticipation, and I believe it's something that is vital to seeing what we want to happen here at High Point Church. While preaching and teaching are great, and they're a very important part of, of catching that vision, I can tell you that all the preaching in the world will do no good until those who are hearing the word allow it in their hearts and allow it to make a change. And that doesn't just go for the sinners. When we use, usually we say that we're referring to people that are sitting in the church that are sinners and they hear the message of salvation and when it invades their heart, then their life is changed. I'm not talking about sinners this morning. I'm talking about us who have grown up in church and been around church all our lives. The word that comes from this pulpit does absolutely no good until it comes into our hearts and we allow it to change our life. And I believe that when that happens, the struggle to promote ideas and visions of the church leadership, I believe they cease to be a struggle. I believe they cease to be a constant burden where people go, oh. And it soon becomes a natural way of life for the church body. This is the point where the church body has a revolution in its thinking, in its communication, in its behaviors. And evangelism is not just something that we hear taught about. It becomes a way of life. Right. It's where every day that we live, evangelism is a part of our life, as opposed to something that we feel obligated to do or prodded to do. And I believe that we can relate this point to that hundredth monkey phenomenon, because it's here at this point that this perpetual idealism is set in motion. 
when everybody gets on board and, and we have that, that person that reaches critical mass and all of a sudden everybody says, yes, I'm going to buy into this and I just think it'll work. We need to understand that while to some this vision may sound a bit idealistic, it is not anything new. In fact, it's just what evangelism is supposed to be. We also need to understand that genuine revival is set into motion for the church when it reaches that place where we all get on board with the idea of evangelism. We don't just listen to the words coming from the pulpit. We hear them. And we don't just hear them. We do, like it says in James 1.22, it says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. You see, there's listening, there's hearing, and then there's doing. And I believe that far too many people have sat in far too many churches across this country, listened to sermon after sermon, and never made a move to actually do what was said. It's time to become listeners. It's time to become hearers. And it's time to become doers. So how do we reach that point of critical mass? First, we have to understand that that place is not easily reached. When you want something great to happen, you don't usually get there easily. Some people say, well, then why try? Because the outcome is worth it. In fact, I believe that the majority of attempts to reach this threshold in most churches, I believe it fails. I also know that this kind of perpetual growth, the, the kind of growth that would create this paradigm shift for the entire church is impossible. It is possible. We've seen it demonstrated in churches across the country. There are many churches who have continued to press on past one barrier after another. Yes, there was obstacles came up. There was things that came up that were negative. There were people that came along that were negative. But they pressed through one obstacle after another. These numerical obstacles and ideological barriers. Until they reached that point where evangelism was the norm. Where evangelism was just an ordinary way of life for the members of the church. And what ultimately happened in those churches? I will tell you that many of them are on their way to becoming or have already become megachurches in their community. Now before somebody throws a songbook at me, I'm not saying all this so High Point Church can become a megachurch. That's not what I'm saying. But let me ask you this. How effective is evangelism if we don't see people come into the church? If we don't see people come into the church, where are we going to see their lives changed? After all, isn't that the point of evangelism? So yes, seeing this place filled would be great, but we don't want to see it filled just for the sake of being filled. We want to see it filled for the sake of people giving their life to Christ and seeing their lives changed. And someone asks, well, how do I get to that hundredth monkey effect? You can't do it by yourself, I can tell you that. Please don't take this wrong, but it happens exactly the same way that it happened in the story told by Dr. Watson. One monkey at a time. In the scripture text that we read, we don't read that Jesus put up a big tent and promoted the fact that he would be speaking for six nights. It's not what he did. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I'm not saying that. What we do see, this is how it started. 
John the Baptist was standing around with a couple of his disciples when Jesus walked by. John saw Jesus and said, hey, look, there's the Lamb of God. That's where it started. The disciples, now keep in mind, these were John's disciples, not Jesus' disciples. The disciples started following Jesus. He stops and turns around and says, what do you want? And they begin to talk. And they said, we want to know where you're staying. And he said, well, I'll show you. Follow me. And they spent the day together just kind of hanging out with Jesus. But here's the part I want us to really grasp. Andrew, who was Simon Peter's brother, was one of John's disciples who spent the day with Jesus. Look at verse 41. It says, the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother and tell him that he had found the Christ. The first thing he did. The next day, Jesus and these new followers take off for Galilee. And Jesus comes across Philip. And he says to Philip, follow me. And guess what? He did. And look what Philip did first. In verse 45, it says, Philip found Nathanael and told him about the Christ. And then he added this last statement, come and see. He invited him to church. It seems that as soon as one man found Christ, he just had to share it with someone else. And because of that, look what has happened over the last 2,000 years. In Dr. Watson's story, the, the monkeys shared their knowledge that they had gained with their peers, the other young monkeys on the island. But it didn't stop there. In the story, it says that they also shared this knowledge with their parents. For years, we have seen Sunday school have the same results. Often, once you reach the kids, the kids will, in turn, reach their parents. Many a family has been won to Christ through the life and the words of a small child or teenager who witnessed to their parents after attending Sunday school. And let me say, I don't think it's a coincidence that recently we have been praying in recent days and weeks for God to send in young people and children to this church. I don't think it's a coincidence at all. I believe there's a, a, a good reason for a high success rate with children when it comes to teaching the Word of God. I believe it's because for the most part they haven't been tainted by the, the negative things that too often go along with organized religion. They don't know all the bad stuff about churches. They just come in and learn who Jesus is. Another thing that I've noticed over the years is that in many cases, it's the, the newest converts, both young and old and everywhere in between, who are the best soul winners. It seems that time and time again, I, that I've seen these folks who haven't been Christians very long, are often the same ones who bring the most people to church with them. And you say, well, why is that? I believe they're excited about what's going on in their life. And that excitement, they can't keep it in, so it spills over and they just have to tell somebody about it. And in turn, that person shows up at church. And let me tell you that the correlation between us going out from the comfort of this church and witnessing to people and sharing the gospel with people out there and then seeing people come back in is not a coincidence. It's the way it's supposed to be.
Let me ask you this, a rhetorical question. Would Peter have followed Jesus without Andrew telling him? Would Nathaniel have followed Jesus without Philip telling him? And would any of them follow Jesus had John not started at all by saying, hey, look, there's Jesus? I don't think so. Another thing that played into the success of the Scripture passages we read in, in John 1 was that there was a connection between these people. Relationships play a very large part in any church that's going to grow. As my prayer partner this week, Mike, and I have prayed, we've also talked about that. And that's one of the things we've talked about specifically is how much easier it is to reach somebody if you've already built a relationship with them. We cannot be an island to ourselves and be successful in the kingdom of God. Here's an interesting thing. The Institute for American Church Growth surveyed 10,000 people about their pilgrimage to Christ. In other words, what brought them in. Look at these statistics. Now, I didn't write them, so... Here's what brought people in. Special needs, 2%. Walk-in, 3%. Pastor, 6%. Sorry, Pastor. Visitation, 1%. Sunday school, 5%. Evangelistic crusade, 5%. Programs, 3%. Friend or relative, 79%. Hey, Peter, I just met Jesus. Hey, Nathaniel, I just met Jesus. Now, please don't take that survey as meaning that we take all these other things and throw them out the window. I'm not saying that. But it does show that our best chance of winning somebody to Christ is through a relationship, either as a friend or a relative. And isn't it amazing that the very passage of Scripture we read today holds that same survey up? We also have to realize that that simply attending a church is not really belonging to a church. Belonging to a church means that you're involved in the fellowship and the family of that church because we learn from one another. We help one another. We encourage one another. We strengthen one another. Together, we we can set aside some of the the old ways of thinking. Together, we can gain new, new knowledge and new understanding of the Bible. And together, we can grow. I would guess on that island that there were monkeys who just sat around from a distance eating their dirty sweet potatoes until they saw for themselves that a change was taking place. Aren't you glad that doesn't happen in church? I've seen it happen. (laughs) But honestly, some people just have to see it for themselves before they will join in. Some people hear a sermon like this and and the ones that have been we've been hearing for several weeks now and and they'll say things like "Ah, I've seen this before. Yeah, they're going to start some program. I give them about three months before things are back to the way they were before. Yeah, you just watch. And i got to tell you this. I've heard that said before. 
And they just sat there and ate their dirty sweet potatoes. Here's something considered. We can preach something. We can speak from this pulpit certain things, and a certain percentage of the church is going to simply believe it because you said it. And there are many people that have to hear it several more times before they actually buy into it. And then there's others that are just not going to accept it until they all see it working with their own eyes. But keep this in mind. Just because somebody doesn't get on board with the direction that the church is going immediately doesn't mean that they will never get on board. It means they just need a little time to adjust to this new way of thinking. They just need a little time to see it begin to work in their church. Some of us here are the, the monkeys who might have experienced some negative things in church in the past. And we really need one, more than one more sermon on church growth to believe that it can actually happen in our church. We need to see it begin to happen. And when we see it happen, then we'll probably jump on board. If that's you, that's okay. You just keep coming to church. You just keep listening to the passion of our pastor and the different ministers here at High Point Church. You keep just watching what's happening in this place because the hundredth monkey is about to wash their sweet potato. And something's going to change. And I believe that when this begins to happen, we won't have to talk people into evangelizing. We won't have to beg people to prepare for it. It will become perpetual. It will become what true evangelism is supposed to be. How are we going to reach that hundredth monkey effect? And I believe there's only one way to do it. It's one person at a time. How are we going to, this church going to reach the place where God wants it to be? One person at a time. And I will tell you, it won't necessarily be one great person at a time. In fact, it's more likely to be one ordinary person at a time. You see, God loves to use ordinary people who live ordinary lives to do extraordinary things. As we read in, in the, the passage of Scripture, we read in John 1, verses 35 through 48, each of these men were reached one at a time. It was not through some supernatural event by some superstar preacher. In fact, Jesus' closest friends, his 12 disciples, among those 12, there were three fishermen, a tax collector, a doctor, a zealot, and a bunch of other characters. None of them were preachers before Jesus called them. The events that we see in the John chapter 1, we're not I don't want to say this. The, re, the events were not a result of a huge push by church leadership. It was not a program that was cleverly orchestrated. It was not perfectly directed. It was simply people introducing other people to Jesus Christ. And that kind of evangelism continued for the next three and a half years until the book of Acts, we see that in that book of Acts there was over 7,000 people saved over a period of three and a half years. 
And it's grown exponentially since then. Now somebody might say, no, you, you, don't, you don't have that right, David. The crowds came to see Jesus because of the miracles. Maybe so. But I have to tell you this. The whole reason they came to see the miracles is because somebody told them about the miracles to start with. If nobody would have told them about the miracles, they wouldn't have seen it on Fox News or CNN. Somebody still had to tell them. So I ask you, who have you told about Jesus this week? Don't answer. Who have we invited to church this week? What would have happened if Andrew would have never invited Simon Peter to come meet Jesus? I can tell you what could have happened. The Apostle Peter might have never stood up on the day of Pentecost and preached the message of salvation and thousands were saved. And the hundredth monkey might have never been reached in the early church. Every person that you invite to the house of God is a potential key person to revival and spiritual growth that God wants to send to this community. You never know who it is that you're inviting. It might look to you like just an old fisherman out mending your nets. But he might end up being the greatest evangelist the world's ever known. There are ministers and pastors of churches across this country today who used to be the ones shutting down the bars on Friday and Saturday night. And this morning they're standing in the pulpit preaching the gospel. There are literally thousands of people who many others had given up on who are now cr crucial and vital members of growing churches throughout this country. Let me tell you this. Don't think twice when the thought comes to you to invite someone to church. Don't think twice when the opportunity comes for you to introduce somebody to Jesus Christ. I like something Brother Brown said the other night. If you're out somewhere and, and, and somebody says, would you pray for me about something? You, there's nothing wrong with praying for them right there. Don't think twice when you see someone who has need of what you have. Tell them about Jesus. You say, well, you're making that awful simplistic. Here's another little thing that's kind of debated, and I'm sure Jeffrey would debate this with me. Perpetual energy. Perpetual energy is a source of energy that is able to sustain itself. For example, if you had a light bulb that could light up in some way by itself, and, and in turn, you could light a small solar panel with that light bulb, and then that solar panel would light a little bit bigger light bulb, which in turn would light a little bit bigger solar panel. Eventually, it would go on and on and on and be perpetual. Now, this has never been done on a large scale, but it has been done, from what I've read, on a small scale. So with that in mind, let me ask you this question. Is it that possible that there is a perpetual energy of true evangelism. One that could be started and created here and continued on and perpetuated here at High Point Church. That we could come to a place as a church where we're not just doing what we're told to do or doing what we're asked to do when it comes to outreach and evangelism. But one to where the work and the ministry of evangelism 
is done because it's a natural way of life. We get up in the morning and that's our purpose. Well, I have to go to work. It's okay. There's opportunities all through the day. It's perpetual evangelism. It's the hundredth monkey phenomenon. It's genuine evangelism. John 2, 1 through 11, we're not going to read the story, but it tells a story of, of Jesus and his mother. They were at this wedding in Cana, and they ran out of wine. And Mary went to Jesus and said, um, they've run out of wine. And he said, okay, it's just not time for me to do this stuff yet. She tells the, the other, just do whatever he tells you to do. So Jesus tells them, go get these pots, these big pots, and fill them with water. And so they did. And when they dipped out of those pots and took it to the person who was holding the wedding feast, they said, this is good wine. Most people serve the good stuff up front, and then they serve the cheap stuff at the end because the people are already drunk. They don't know the difference. You waited till the end to serve the better wine. So when Jesus turned water to wine, it was better wine than the good stuff. That's pretty cool. But here's what I want you to know. What did Mary do? First thing she did was she set the scene for a miracle. She created an opportunity for Jesus to do something miraculous, and then here's the part we can learn. She found someone who had a tremendous need in their life, and she introduced them to the one who could meet it. And the monkeys kept washing their sweet potatoes. The worship team come up. You want to be a soul winner? Be someone that recognizes when someone has a need. Invite them to see how Jesus can meet that need. When someone comes to you and tells you about something going on in their life, you can either look at them and smile and shake your head and say, that's too bad. Or you can introduce them to someone who can meet the need. I don't know who the hundredth monkey will be. But I will tell you this, we all have a story to tell. And there are plenty of folks who need to hear it. You might be the next Andrew. And the person that you invite to church who comes to Christ might become the next Peter. And in turn, that person might become one of the greatest evangelists that the world has ever known. But it all starts with sharing something we know. For the monkeys, it was sharing how to wash a sweet potato. For us, it's sharing that Jesus Christ died on a cross. That He was buried and on the third day He rose from the grave. That He paid a price for our salvation, a price that we could never afford to pay on our own. And I realize they're two completely story, different stories. But the parallel between the two is inescapable. You see, I'm not here to talk to you about washing your sweet potatoes before you eat them. I am here to urge you that if you've never experienced how Christ can change your life, please don't leave here today until you've done that. And if you have, oh, I did that 40 years ago. That's great. Let me urge you not to keep it to yourself. Find someone to share it with. Share it. 
It doesn't have to be big crowds. Just one person at a time. Too many times we we don't do things because we don't feel like we're capable of doing them. And maybe that is the case. But I will tell you this, that the Bible says that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That doesn't mean I can do all things on my own, but I can do them through Christ. And when that person comes to us and we see that need and we want to introduce them to Christ, we don't have to worry about the fact that we've got to preach a sermon or something like that. We just introduce them to Christ. Let Him do the work. And when we all join together to do that, I believe that it is then and only then that we will see the results that we have been praying for here at High Point Church. How does it begin? It begins with me. Where does it go? To the next person. How do we reach that point? One person at a time. Pastor Machine.